Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week, I'm your panel. I'm Charles Maxwood, and we're talking to Toli Zaslavsky. I think I'm getting better at your name. Yeah, Maybe not. I think after the, what, is it the third time now? Yeah, something like that. But yeah, do you want to just remind people who you are, where you work, why you're famous? Well, my name is Tully. I work at a company called Hover. We make 3D visualizations of houses. You just take a photo of your house and uh, out comes a 3D model. I also wrote a framework called uh, Pickle.js. It's uh, very far from famous, but I do encourage you to use it. It's uh, great for end-to-end testing. We're using it for practically every product uh, within Hover. And yeah, there's uh, been a few talks uh, on it. Uh, a few of my coworkers actually gave talks on it while I was away. Nice. I think we had you on episode 358 of JavaScript Jabber talking about that. We also did a My JavaScript story and we talked a little bit about the mental health thing. And as we talked about it, I thought, man, there are probably some people out there who need to hear this. And so I invited you back on the show so we could talk a little bit about mental health and you know, just let people know that you know, maybe it's something that more people than they think are going through, maybe make it a little bit more approachable, maybe inspire some people to get some help if they need it, or at least, you know, have a, a healthy view on some of the things that they're going through. So I'd like to kind of just start with your story because you mentioned that I think you said you had um, manic depression or something like that. And it affected you pretty deeply for a while. And then I was just, I was like, yeah, well, let's let's talk about your story. And then let's talk about you know, how people can, uh, can cope with that with their careers and with their lives and, and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. Well, mental health is uh, definitely one of the most important uh, topics to me since it affects me directly. And yeah, it's um, been a huge uh, part of my life for at least the last uh, five or six years. Uh, I've had uh, bipolar, which is basically an alternation between uh, manic episodes and depressive episodes. I think a lot of people, they're familiar with depression, but manic episodes are uh, still a bit more of a mystery. Essentially, what happens uh, in a manic episode is you start getting a lot of energy, you start getting a lot of ideas, you basically become ultra social, and it sounds uh, pretty great. However, it tends to take a pretty wrong turn uh, if it's uncapped. A lot of times, the ideas that you have uh, start to lose grounding with reality. A lot of times, you start spending money that you don't have, and you tend to lose quite a lot of friends. I've lost countless friends, countless jobs. I got a quarter million dollars into debt at one point in the course of three months and had to declare bankruptcy. Basically, manic episodes, they're extremely destructive, even though they may seem pretty amazing when they first start. Yeah, I was thinking, man, I'd like to have more energy and, you know, more more creativity and things like that. But it sounds like it's it's not it's not that kind of thing. And you can't always control what you're doing with that energy and the direction that you go in with it. Exactly. Yeah, I kind of like to compare it to a bit of an acid trip where you are a lot more creative. You kind of get a lot more ideas. Everything becomes much more interesting. But you're not exactly, you know, someone who can function in society. That makes sense. And then you've got the depressive end of things, which I think people have at least seen portrayed if they haven't gone through, you know, some form of of depression. Yeah, definitely. There are a few uh, different manifestations of uh, depression. The one that I tend to go through tends to be complete lack of energy and apathy. The worst depressions I've had, I would just lock myself in my room and literally not come out. I would just eat out of cans. I would maybe just go to the bathroom, but I would not go outside. I would not talk to my friends. The only activity I would do is watch Netflix or Hulu. And over the years, my depressions started getting a little bit more manageable just because I learned some coping skills, but they still suck quite a lot. Like I am just coming out of a two, three month depression right now, and it wasn't really pretty. You know, I stayed in my room uh, quite a bit. 
I had to take a medical leave off of uh, work because I was practically useless, just staring at my screen, doing nothing. But yeah, it's a good thing that my uh, job is very supportive of this. This is already the uh, second uh, depressive episode I've had uh, at Hover, and they've been extremely uh, supportive and uh, yeah, just uh, give me the time to take care of myself and get better. Right. That makes sense. I think the the closest thing that I've had to that is last year when my dad passed away. And, you know, so it's not a clinical thing. It's not, you know, it's not a health thing per se. It's just something you go through in life. And, you know, I kind of worked my way through it. And so, you know, I and I had to talk to some people and, you know, kind of figure some things out, which is a different approach to it. But I think to a certain degree, we all go through it. It's probably going to be a different experience for each of us, but it's normal that, that we go through some of this stuff. And, and I, I want to just kind of, if there's any way I can remove the stigma from this, you know, whether it's something that you can't control or it's because of life circumstances and it's just a process you have to get through, or if there's something else going on and you're, you're, your mental health problems manifest in a different way. I just want to help people kind of get to the point we can come to understand. I'm assuming you've got other help that's helping you kind of get through it. And do you want to just talk a little bit about that as far as, you know, with mental health issues, you know, what do you do? Like if you are the, you know, whether it's a manic period or episode or a depressive period or episode, or whether you know people have other things that they just have to deal with that, that qualify as mental health issues, what should people do to, to, to get better, or at least to get to the point where they can uh, do the things that they love to do? Absolutely. So bipolar and depression, even though in the dsm 4 it's sort of binary, you either have it or you don't have it, it's really more of a spectrum. Everyone has some level of depression. The question is, is it bad enough that it needs medications or any other kind of uh, therapy to really uh, take care of it? Because, yeah, uh, bad things happen uh, in life. Uh, Sad events uh, happen to just about everyone. However, with clinical depression and clinical bipolar, what tends to happen is there are less reasons behind the sadness. Like, there was nothing really going wrong in my life before my depression. There's nothing I could point to that was wrong in my life. It just tends to come on and then it tends to leave for no apparent reason. There are definitely a lot of ways to cope with it, which I've learned over the years. And this is something that I hope uh, to really do in the future is to educate myself and then educate others on the best ways of dealing with bipolar and depression. So some of the most obvious ones are to keep a lifeline out to your friends and family. It's really, really important to stay social. And at first, it seems uh, like a bad idea because who wants to hang around someone who's depressed all the time? Who wants to hang around uh, somebody who's just being a downer? Well, You're right. It's not pleasant, but if you do have strong friendships, they will understand what you're going through and they'll also know their limits and they'll set their boundaries uh, as to what they can deal with. I think establishing those boundaries are probably the most important parts. I've definitely lost a lot of friends during uh, depressions and manic episodes because I haven't set those boundaries and I haven't set those expectations. But it's important for your friends and your family to know that if something gets a little too heavy for them, if it gets too hard, they can walk away. And that's fine. It's actually good for both sides. It's much better that they walk away before it gets too bad than to basically sever the relationship entirely. Going to a professional therapist uh, helps quite a bit uh, if you find the right therapist. It's quite hard to find a therapist. Uh, I live in San Francisco and there are way more patients than there are therapists out there. It took me quite a while uh, just through friends of friends uh, to land on the therapist that I did right now. And 
The same goes for psychiatrists. You pretty much are not going to get a good psychiatrist if you're going to go through your insurance. The one I just uh, started with right now, who is uh, extremely knowledgeable uh, about bipolar, she actually has uh, bipolar herself. She goes for uh, 400 uh, bucks an hour, of which most of it will not be compensated by your insurance uh, because uh, they don't accept insurance. So then, of course, there is uh, exercise and sleeping patterns. There is a huge link in between sleeping patterns and depression uh, and mania. Basically, you have to try your best to keep on a sleeping schedule. Don't go to sleep too late. Make sure that you wake up at relatively the same time every day. There are a lot of people I know who can function well on four hours of sleep. They can function well like going to a party, you know, partying all night and then getting up. Something like that, it just destroys someone who has uh, bipolar or depression. The next thing is substances. So I used to do quite a lot of substances, like pretty much everything under the sun. It's actually quite bad uh, for uh, someone with bipolar. Even something as harmless seeming as marijuana actually is quite detrimental to someone who has uh, bipolar disorder. I did an experiment uh, for a few months. I stopped uh, smoking marijuana. I stopped drinking alcohol and my mood drastically improved. You definitely have to make quite a lot of sacrifices that the general public uh, doesn't have to make. But if you do, you will feel a little bit better. So those are pretty much the most obvious ways that you can deal with uh, depression and bipolar. And then I've also discovered a few other things uh, revolving around my job, which can help quite a bit. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that in a minute. But I mean, just some of the things that you're talking about doing. I think there's a a bit of perspective there just, you know, in the sense. So I've, I've, I've never, um, you know, drunk alcohol or really done drugs. The only drug I abuse is caffeine. And, you know, so but but a lot of the other things you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think twice if I'm staying up late, unless I have to get up early, you know, and things like that. And just just the the way that you you're talking about some of the the things that you have to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess just just having that perspective and understanding in some ways what it's like to go through that. Because yeah, I'm trying to think. Okay, if I had to do that just to you know get by during the the hard weeks, I, I'm sure some time, some periods are, are easier than others. But yeah, just just looking at it and going, oh wow, you know, what if I had to do that just to you know just to make sure that I could you know do what I love to do. But the flip side is, is I mean, you know, you can have a good life or, you know, hopefully you can have a good life if you're dealing with this. Before we get to the work thing, though, one thing that I'm curious about is if you know somebody who is going through some of this stuff, I'm I'm guessing there are going to be some outward signs that you can see that will indicate to you that they might need help. And then how do you support somebody who's going through something like this? So... You actually make a very good point. First of all, there are a lot more people than you think that have either bipolar disorder or depression or some sort of uh, mental illness. I think I saw some statistic that one in four people have some sort of uh, mental illness. And I'm not sure what the exact statistics are uh, for bipolar. It looks like about 2.6% has uh, bipolar that's severe enough uh, to actually interfere with work. And I think the stat for uh, depression is a little bit higher than that, 7.1%. And that's just the diagnosed people. Now, just based off the conversations I've had with coworkers, with friends, I think that that number is very, very low. A lot of people at my job, they definitely exhibit a lot of signs uh, of depression, but they refuse to even get diagnosed because there is still such a stigma around it. And the ones that do get diagnosed, they almost never reveal it to their job or the general public, again, because there is such a stigma around it. And, you know, there is uh, some logic to that. 
people will treat you differently when they know uh, that they that you have uh, bipolar. People will sometimes tiptoe around you, sometimes pass you up for projects, sometimes essentially not treat you as someone on their team uh, in some companies. So it's really important that you think about the pros and cons uh, before disclosing this kind of information at your job. And you have to also find a job which does support it because it's quite hard, especially if you have severe bipolar, to work continuously at a job which doesn't know about what's going on. When you exhibit signs of depression and when you exhibit signs of mania, it is really, really disturbing if you don't know what's going on from the other end. Right. So let's say that, you know, I'm working with my friend Tolly. What kinds of things am I going to see when, when you are manic or depressed that are going to tip me off that you might need some help? So let's start with uh, depression. There are definitely uh, some pretty obvious symptoms. First of all, they'll get a lot more quiet than usual. If they're usually talking all the time, they're, you know, in the break room laughing and, you know, suddenly you never see them. They're always at their desk. They never say a word during meetings. That's a pretty obvious sign that they're going through depression. Anxiety is another one. If they seem a lot more anxious uh, than usual, if they seem a lot more pessimistic than usual, if they seem a lot more aggravated than usual. So if they snap at you for some reason, that's a really good common sign of uh, depression. If their work quality is usually great and suddenly it starts to just tank for no apparent reason, that's a very good sign that uh, they're in a depression. If they look sleepy all the time, if they basically are not paying attention in meetings, if they're restless all the time, if they're fidgety, if there's a lot of unexplained absences from work, like suddenly, you know, they're sick every other day, that's probably a good sign of depression. Generally speaking, you'll know if someone's depressed uh, by those signs. Makes sense. Yeah. Mania, it's very different. It's basically uh, the exact uh, opposite of that. So somebody that's in their manic phase, suddenly it starts off uh, in hypomania. It starts out as them having lots of energy. Suddenly they're doing a lot more work. Suddenly they're getting everything done. They're super organized. They have so many great ideas. They're super creative you know, they suddenly become employee of the month for no apparent reason, which is great. You know, that's like every manager's dream. But when it switches into mania, that's when you start seeing some of those negative uh, effects. So probably the first effect uh, that's uh, easily noticeable is irritability and mood swings. So basically just flip-flopping moods. Uh, You know, one second they're happy, The other second, uh, they are yelling at you for something. Happens quite a lot in mania. Another thing is taking huge risks. So I've had a lot of jobs where I got promoted because of my hypomanic episodes. And then I got uh, put into positions where I could, you know, do some real damage. And I made really, really bad judgment calls. And some of those companies where I've made those judgment calls, I've cost them in the order of millions of dollars. And I, you know, tried emailing them, apologizing, explaining uh, years later about my condition, and they still refuse to talk to me. These kinds of mistakes when uh, that you do during manic episodes, they will cost the company a lot of money. They will cause a lot of damage. So it's really, really important to spot them early and put the uh, employee in a position where they cannot do that kind of damage. Let's see, what else? So something else uh, that happens is people get much more friendly and even hypersexual. So if for some reason they like uh, start acting in- inappropriate, especially in a workplace, that's a really good sign uh, of mania. Let's see. That's kind of most of what uh, I can think of. Like basically risk taking is 
kind of the biggest uh, sign I can think of. If someone starts to take big risks, it's a really good sign to kind of like step back and say like, hey, you know, is this someone who is really, you know, just stepping up their game or is this someone in a manic episode? Makes sense. If you're worried about it, let's say you see some of these signs, you see enough of these signs to where you think, okay, you know, there's something going on here. You know, they may have some of these, you know, they may have some depression or, you know, maybe they're, they're in a manic state. How do you approach somebody about it? Or should you approach somebody about it? You most definitely should approach them about it. Because again, somebody in a manic state can do quite a lot of damage. And while you can't do that much damage in a depression, usually you're probably going to end up losing a highly valued employee. Depression, I guess, is a little bit easier just because it's so much more commonplace. A lot of it is just sitting down and saying like, hey, is everything all right? Uh, You know, our doors are open. A lot of it is actually educating the company and making it clear that, hey, we're not just saying like, are you all right? We actually mean, are you all right? And we actually mean, yes, our doors are open. Yes, we will listen to you. Yes, we will help you. Because it's really easy to say like, hey, we're there for you and do nothing. With mania, it's definitely a much uh, more sensitive uh, kind of topic. People in mania, especially their first manic episodes, they don't realize that they're in a manic episode. They think that suddenly their life is just going really well. Suddenly, you know, everything is starting to line up for them. And things that seem like risks to other people seem like just logical decisions uh, when they're in a manic phase. Inappropriate behavior just seems confident. All these things to someone with uh, mania, they seem very commonplace. So if you just approach someone and say like, hey, are you having a manic episode? They will say, of course not. I'm not having a manic episode. But there are ways of approaching it, which are a bit more uh, delicate, which is saying like, hey, we are kind of worried about this risk uh, that you took uh, a while ago, can we discuss and like logically go through your thought process on uh, doing this risk? And I think that's the most powerful weapon, like really using logic and really going step by step through decisions that this person is making and making sure that they understand and actually think through those decisions. I think people who are a little bit farther along with bipolar as long as you let them know, like, hey, we support all uh, types of mental illnesses, including depression, including bipolar, including manic episodes. Here are some signs of manic episodes. Here are some ways that we can help you with manic episodes. I'm pretty sure that they will reveal that they have it because they know the kind of damage that they do during manic episodes. They know the consequences of manic episodes and they want to keep their job and they know that they need help for that. Makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, it just makes me feel better that, yeah, you know, especially on the on the depression end of things, you know, I can just I can just talk to somebody, right? I can just tell them, you know, that I'm there for them and, and help them out. And on the manic side, I mean, if you open up the conversation, I think you put it really well, you know. But if they're aware that they, you know, have a tendency to to be in a manic state, then they realize you know, what they may or may not be doing. And it makes it a little bit more approachable. And then if somebody doesn't realize that they are going there, you know, maybe it is their first one, then at least, at least, you know, you're, you're on the spot and you can help them out. So if, if I'm just trying to think here, so let's go back to the people who are actually, you know, dealing with some kind of mental illness. So how do you then get work done? And how do you find an employer that will actually allow you to, you know, take a month off if you need it, or, you know, take some kind of medical leave that will work out for both you and them? Right. So that's a very good question. I'm not sure that there is a step-by-step way of finding an employer like that. A lot of it is just luck. You look for companies that are doing the right thing in other ways, have good tech stacks, have good 
uh, coding standards, who have excellent cultures, who have a open source presence, who do good uh, uh, in their communities. All of these are signs that it's a company which is more likely uh, to help you out. And these are definitely qualities that uh, Hover, uh, the company that I work for, has. Another thing you can do is ask your uh, friends. If you know uh, somebody who has uh, bipolar or depression and works for a company that's supportive, that is hands down the best way. And by the way, yes, Hover is uh, hiring. Uh, Probably, I would say the best way that a company can help you out is just give you the time to deal with your uh, depression or mania. If it's a deep depression and a deep uh, mania, either you're going to be completely useless during that time or you're going to be a huge risk to the company. So it's not really in the company's best interest to keep you around during that time. However, it is in the uh, best interest of the company to keep you around in other times because it's quite expensive to find good developers these days. Developers are in very high demand. And if it means like giving somebody two or three months off a year in order to keep them around the other nine months or 10 months, then that's just the cost of doing business at the end of the day, not to mention the right thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And, and I think there's some nuance to, you know, the right thing to do. I think it's the right thing to do by your employee. You know, having somebody take time off where you're paying them is probably a little bit different pill to swallow when you're looking at the bottom line for the business. And only businesses of a certain size, I think, are able to do that. You know, if they're your only developer, then you're probably going to have a problem if they're not making forward progress on a regular basis, right? So if, if, if they need to take a break, that's a hard call to make. But if they're one of a handful or more and they contribute highly to your organization, yeah, then it makes a ton of sense because the training, the trade-off for the training versus just you know having them come, them come back when they're able, all of a sudden makes a whole lot more sense both financially and you know, from the standpoint of how well you treat people. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. What kinds of things do you do though? Let's say that you're manic or depressed, but not to the point where it really affects your work or it doesn't deeply affect your work. I mean, how do you cope with things when it's not so bad that you, that you have to take time off? So basically, the name of the game when it comes to bipolar is avoiding triggers. There are some things which make a depressive or manic episode uh, come about faster and last longer and have a much higher intensity. And basically, you have to stay away from those things. You also have to understand what motivates you and communicate that to your employer. It takes a while to learn how to communicate uh, this kind of uh, information and even how to find out like what really is your passion. But once you do, it becomes so much easier because suddenly your value as an employee jumps quite a bit. And remember that people with bipolar, they also have hypomanic episodes where they can work quite a bit and they can be very, very productive. And those times will more than compensate for those depressive times and uh, manic times that they have to be away. Some things that I found that help me out uh, quite a bit are the types of projects. Uh, I'm really good at working at complex bugs. So especially like those really interesting browser bugs where it only happens in IE7 and it only happens uh, like during three to five a.m. on a blue moon. I'm really great at solving those and I really enjoy solving those and those tend to keep me occupied. In my company, I would say I'm one of the better people at solving those types of uh, issues. On the flip side, there are quite a lot of problems that I'm very bad at solving. For example, whenever you have something open-ended where I have to estimate how long it's going to take and Uh, essentially have it very time sensitive. That's the worst type of project to put me on. Of course, it's not what any employer wants to hear, but it's also 
something that has to be worked around. And it's much easier to work around in a slightly larger startup uh, like Hover. By the nature of uh, bipolar depression, a manic episode or a depressive episode can come at any time. So if you are on a mission-critical project, which needs to be done tomorrow, and you have a manic episode and you have, or a depressive episode and you're the only uh, person who can work on the project, then the company is kind of out of luck. On the other hand, if you work on something like developer tooling, which if it gets done, great. If it doesn't get done, also you know, not a big deal, then that is the best possible scenario. Projects like uh, Pickle.js they were great because the company was doing all right before it had Pickle.js. It was just writing its Selenium tests. And then I took the time. I had a uh, hypomanic episode. And within a month, I uh, coded up Pickle. Turned out to be a really great framework. And now they use it throughout. Boosts everybody's productivity, makes the app very bug-free. Other things that I've worked on were common frameworks. When I worked at the Federal Reserve, I used my hypomanic episode to make this really amazing Backbone.js uh, framework. And uh, from what I hear, it's actually still being used today. What are some other things? I tend to be very uh, good at documentation uh, when I'm in a hypomanic phase. So nobody wants to do it, and I'm great at it. I just sit for hours and hours on end and write very verbose, very detailed uh, and expressive documentation. Some things that tend to trigger uh, manic episodes and depressive episodes for me are meetings. So especially when I have to meet with a client, that's generally a bad idea. If I'm nearing a manic episode that only sets off the manic episode even more, I start going off on ridiculous tangents and coming off uh, looking like a lunatic. Destroys the company image, destroys the company relationship with the client not something that you uh, want to put a manic person in charge of. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, if I'm pretty far from a manic episode, then it's a little uh, bit more fine to like put me in front of clients and uh, uh, in meetings. Other stuff is kind of more monotonous work. Feature work tends to draw me towards depression. So if I'm doing something very simple but very monotonous, that really tends to get me uh, down. Like, say, for example, uh, somebody gave me a task of adding a radio button for some fields. Sure, I could do it. But if that's all I'm doing for months and months on end, I'm almost guaranteed to go into a depression. So I, I mentioned uh, estimating uh, time. In a manic episode, uh, that's one of the qualities. You completely lose the sense of time. You might be sitting at a computer for 20 hours, and it'll feel like 20 minutes. So if you're given an unscoped project with no supervision, especially if it's close to a manic episode, then you're probably going to go off on some weird tangent, coding something really cool, but practically useless. Something that helped me a lot was pair programming. Most of the work that I do these days is actually as uh, pair programming. Generally, I sit with another senior engineer and we work on a project and the results are amazing. I've uh, definitely created uh, some really cool stuff uh, while pair programming, even though it might seem to a company that it's a little bit of a waste of time. It actually helps both parties think. It actually helps there be much more creative solutions, much less bugs and uh, much happier employees. And of course, it mitigates pretty much all of the qualities of a manic episode and a depressive episode, because when you're depressed, suddenly, you know, there's a person who's constantly keeping you up. When you're manic, suddenly they're checking your risk taking. And those are pretty much my triggers and uh, ways of avoiding uh, the worst manic episodes and depressions. Yeah, it sounds to me like you kind of have to understand your own makeup where, you know, you understand your triggers, you understand some of these things really help you out. And I'm assuming that for somebody else, given their uh, mental illness, they may have to cope with it in different ways. 
So is there a method for figuring out, okay, uh, totally said that all these things work for him. Some of those I think will work for me. And some of these, you know, some of these things are probably triggers for me. So probably meeting people who are a little farther in your in their career is the best way to do it. I have a few friends uh, with bipolar, and they've definitely shared some of these things with me. And I've shared my tips with people who have bipolar, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, that totally affects me. A lot of it is just trial and error. It took me probably close to a dozen different jobs to come to the one I am today, just like really screwing up, really uh, making some horrible uh, mistakes. But through those mistakes, I learned what actually helps me and what actually hurts me. And that's something that you have to come to terms with if you have bipolar, if you have any severe mental illness, is you're going to screw up your life multiple times. You are going to lose a lot of friends. You're going to lose a lot of jobs. You're going to lose a lot of relationships in your life before you actually come to some viable solutions. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I guess, yeah, I mean, if, if something's going to trigger you, the only way to know that is to get triggered <laughs> once, exactly. twice, and then, and then realize, oh, every time I put myself in a situation like this, this is what happens. And so this is what I can do to mitigate it. Yep. Do you find that it's easier to manage the triggers if you work from home or are you better off? You mentioned pair programming. So I'm wondering if you're better off in the office or is that going to depend on the person who's trying to manage these things? So for me, actually both working from home and uh, pair programming uh, help depending on where I am. If I am getting closer to uh, my depression, I probably should be in the office because that's when I really start to lose focus. That's when I uh, start to lose concentration. And having somebody to really uh, pick me up really, really helps. If I'm just normal, then working from home can sometimes be a really good way of keeping down distractions. Distractions are huge, especially uh, when you're about to go into a hypomanic episode. You start everything becomes interesting. So you start jumping from one thing to another. If you hear a conversation going on five feet from you, you're going to jump into that conversation. If you're working from home, then that's just a way to mitigate that. Another way to mitigate that, of course, is pair programming where the other person keeps uh, you uh, in check and keeps you on track and says like, hey, pay attention. So really both strategies could work depending on who's available Sometimes somebody might not be available to pair program with you. And if you're in the right time of that cycle, then working from home is great. Is there any other aspect of mental health that we should talk about on this episode? Well, a few things, actually. Uh, I have a friend, and he's uh, very passionate. He also has a bipolar disorder, and he's very passionate about the subject. He's building a really interesting app called uh, Misu. It's not out to the public uh, just yet, but I'll definitely send a link as soon as uh, it's out. The idea is you install it on your computer and it takes a picture of you every uh, minute or so. And it also keeps track of the applications that you're using. And then it graphs over time your mood and how it relates to the applications you're using. I think that For some reason, even though we have so many ways of tracking things like uh, blood levels of different drugs or other medical things, there really aren't great ways of tracking your mood. And I think mood is one of the most important things that you should be tracking in your life. So I really uh, want to see more applications come out similar to Misu. And I want to see more funds uh, that are dedicated towards that. That's interesting. So you, essentially, you're teaching the computer how to watch you mm-hmm. and give, give you feedback. because, uh, And this is a very human thing in general. Sometimes our internal feedback loop doesn't work the way that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's very hard to know that you are starting to get towards a depression because it does come quite gradually. 
And the sooner you're able to catch these kinds of things, the sooner you could actually do something about it. Yeah, I'm wondering too, if, you know, with something like this, you could not only teach it to watch you and say, hey, you're heading down, you know, this road one way or the other, but also then teach it how to stimulate you (laughs) in some way so that you start heading back the other way. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I guess another thing is I would really like to see companies take a more active stance on um, mental illness. A lot of companies, they say that, yeah, yeah, we support uh, mental illness and disability and all that, but they never take any practical steps. There are so many practical steps that I mentioned that employers can do to give resources to their employees that may have these kinds of disorders. And I think it's starting to happen a bit more. Mental illness is definitely starting to get destigmatized, but there's such a long way to go. Yeah, um, I could definitely see where companies could set policies and things where it's, you know, hey, we're going to, you know, to, to this point or, you know, given certain circumstances, you know, we'll support people with mental illnesses in various ways. I also think that some of the stigma just came out of the fact that, you know, we've we've come to understand this better over time. And in the past, especially further and further in the past, somebody who looked able-bodied and looked normal for whatever version of normal you have, it looked like they they were just, you know, acting different for reasons of their own instead of necessarily understanding that some people there's really nothing they can do to help it. And so I I hope that the stigma continues to go away as we understand better what people are going through and that we can develop some form of empathy for people and, and just, you know, kind of meet them where they are. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing is finding longer term solutions for these disorders. There's a theory that most of these disorders, even though they may have biological uh, and uh, genetic components to them, they really stem from some trauma emotionally. And a lot of it is doing the right kind of therapy work, which unfortunately, I've only met a few uh, different therapists that can do this kind of work. There are also a lot of other uh, less conventional ways which I'm starting to explore for myself uh, to deal with bipolar. For example, for a very long time in most uh, Aboriginal tribes, there have been shamans or some sort of healers that would deal with these kinds of issues in ceremonies uh, with either uh, some sort of psychedelic substance or with some sort of extended talk therapy. And I think that bringing something like that back could be a really good way uh, to deal with these symptoms. One thing that I tried in the past, which worked quite well, was uh, MDMA-assisted therapy. It basically acts on uh, serotonin receptors, if I am not mistaken. And unlike, uh, I've probably taken uh, a few dozen different pharmaceutical drugs at this point, and nothing has worked as well and so quickly as MDMA therapy or uh, another thing that I did was a uh, ayahuasca ceremony in Costa Rica. The big problem with using these kinds of substances is they almost definitely will cause some sort of manic episode if it's uncapped. And because there are no doctors that are licensed to do these kinds of procedures, it's quite hard to find somebody who will prescribe you the right meds to deal with the after effects uh, of MDMA therapy and other uh, psychedelic solutions. They are quite powerful. They are, you know, they were used for many, many centuries, uh, if not millennia before us. And I really hope that in the future, there is going to be a lot more research, a lot more legalization and a lot more support for using these kinds of substances to help explore what is really going on emotionally underneath these uh, disorders. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully we can, as a society, find ways to support the, you know, these kinds of research. Because you know, ultimately, at least from my standpoint, if it'll get the results and ends justify the means kind of person, but to a certain degree, I mean, the results are really what matters. So if we can make somebody's life better through you know, some of these treatments or by exploring them and then seeing where things go from there, it makes a lot of sense to me to give them a try and then see where we, you know, see what works, see what, where things wind up, see if we can find a trend maybe where, you know, some of these treatments help people under certain circumstances and, and the other treatments help people under other circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing I forgot to mention is uh, ketamine therapy is something that's uh, actually starting to get legalized. And I've heard that it helps uh, quite a bit with uh, depression. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Isn't ketamine typically used for an animal tranquilizer? It is, actually. But it also has uh, psychoactive uh, properties. And um, I've known a few people who have used it uh, both for depression and for bipolar. Of course, you know, you can't just, you know, take a bunch of ketamine and expect it. Right. There's, you know, quite a lot of therapy that has to be done and quite a lot of other drugs that have to be taken to counteract some of the effects. This is the big problem. People are self-medicating because these methods, they clearly work, but also they're getting into a lot of trouble and a lot of negative effects, which are possibly even worse than uh, taking uh, the drugs themselves because there is no legal support out there or institutional support, rather. Well, I don't know if we can change that on this podcast, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It makes sense to me, so... Or at least makes sense to try it. All right. Well, if, if people want to uh, follow up with you in some way, you know, maybe they have questions, maybe they are going through something and they feel like, you know, you, you'd understand it because you've been through some of the same things. Uh, where do people reach out? Uh, you could email me, uh, uh, com. You could just put that on the links. And uh, yeah, they could check out my site, a little bit about me, tollycodes.com. I am more than happy to speak to anyone who uh, is experiencing bipolar, depression, really any uh, mental illness. It's, uh, again, something that's extremely, extremely important to me. And uh, it's something that I really want to make a difference, even if it is individually in people's lives. So really feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or need some support. Right. And if if they don't feel comfortable reaching out to you, are there other organizations or people that that they can go to that, that might be able to help them? Yeah, there actually are quite a lot of organizations. There is NAMI, the National Alliance of uh, Mental Illness. There is the Depression Bipolar Alliance. Uh, let me get the dbsalliance.org. And that has a lot of resources on uh, local groups that you can find. A lot of it is just being uh, a bit more open uh, about what disorder you have. And friends will pop up. Uh, There are quite a lot of us uh, out there. It just takes a little bit of courage to put yourself out there and find those people who can help you. Makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, well, let's go ahead and roll into the picks. Gosh, I don't even know what to pick. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? And then I'll go. Well, I guess I wanted to give a shout out to my friend's app, but it's not exactly online yet. 
but it possibly will be uh, by the time the episode launches. It's called Misu, like Turamisu. But yeah, just keep an out uh, an eye out uh, for it. That would be my pick. Awesome. I'm gonna, I guess, do a few picks for my travel stuff. So, just because the last episode I did, I did the picks for the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. So I'm traveling. I'm here at OzCon, which is running today, but it's a workshop day. So anyway, I typically wind up just going to the the general public days. And I've been getting a whole bunch done here while I'm here. I was at Chain React, which is Chain React. Uh, it's a conference for React native developers. And then I just stayed over for OzCon because they were both in Portland, Oregon. While I've been here, one of the things that I use a lot when I'm traveling is ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com. And it's essentially just a way of maintaining my privacy while I'm traveling. Just because I never know what kind of Wi-Fi I'm going to encounter. When I'm at home, I mean, I guess I have to worry about my ISP spying on me or something. But I, I don't know if there's a ton I can do about that. I could use the VPN at home, I guess, but that's about it. But while I'm out, I just never know, you know, if I'm at a Starbucks or something, you know, who else is on the network and and how much security they put on the network to protect me. I just, I don't want to have to worry about it. So I use ExpressVPN. It's not that expensive and it works pretty good. I'm also going to be going and talking to some people at the conference. And when I do that, I have a recorder that I take with me. It's the Zoom H6. And uh, it's the H6 because it has six channels on it. Anyway, it's a terrific little recorder. You can set the equalizers. You can um, adjust the volume on all the different channels. I mean, there's a ton you can do with it. You can plug actual microphones into it and uh, use it. Anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, Thanks, Tolly, for coming and talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, It's really great to share this kind of stuff and I really really hope that uh, it helps someone out there and uh, yeah yeah if you're going through this please go talk to somebody get help find a friend I mean whatever whatever you have to do it kind of hurts me a little bit just to think that somebody's out there suffering and not getting the help that they need and I I really really just want to make sure that people are getting what they need so that they can have the best life they can so yeah Anyway, that's why we pulled this together and that's why we're having this conversation. So, all right, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and uh, we'll have another episode for you later. Awesome. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>